So this week you got in the e-blast, if you're not getting the e-blast, you're visiting or something, email the church office, you'll get on the mailing list. But there's an e-blast that goes out once a week and it has the things that we want you to know this week. And in the top of that, there was an updated version of our meals ministry policy. Um, And that is a a ministry that helps to provide meals to people who are in crisis, families in our church that are in crisis. There's been a birth, a death, uh, surgery, a family, their sickness or whatever. And so we, we come around and provide for them. Um, and so, as I'm preaching this morning on biblical koinonia, we're going to return to the same passage we were in last week in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to dig a little bit deeper in this whole idea of biblical koinonia and unpack it, and, and unpack it um, partly, you'll see there are a number of applications, both for the corporate worship and our small group ministry, and, uh, but also for the meals ministry, and I confess that that's driving at my, one of the main applications is about our meals ministry. And Koinonia has a lot of application. You'll hear that as we go through this. So uh, walk with me, but I just want to be up front where, you know, where this is going, uh, at least in part. We're in Acts chapter 2 again, verses 42 to 47. We've just had Pentecost. Thousands of Jews in Jerusalem have come to Christ, and so we've got this church forming, thousands of new believers in Jesus. And then it says this, starting in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were even selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord is adding to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. And so we have gathered this morning of your people to worship you and to know you and to love you. And part of our worship is to sit at your feet, to hear your word and let you speak it fresh to our souls. That our souls may be shaped in its image, in your image. Although you make real in our corporate life as a church in our own hearts, what is described in your word in which you desire and design for us as your people. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I did a fuller exposition of this text last week. If you missed that, you may want to go back and take a look at that and talk about the applications of this as that text as, as our corporate witness. And this week, I just want to delve down into the idea of fellowship, which is one of the words we find in 42, but which we see lived out in the rest of the passage as well. So in verse 42, we're told that they were devoted, the church was devoted, they had a passionate commitment to certain things. And there were four things in particular that we're told, the apostles' teaching or the word of God, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, communion, but sharing meals together, and prayer. Koinonia, fellowship, the word fellowship in that verse is the Greek word koinonia, and it's translated here as fellowship, but it is, um, it is a powerful biblical concept. G.I. Packer has a little book called God's Words. And in it, 
every chapter is, a, is an important Bible word that he takes a chapter, uh, unpacking biblically and applying and what that word means. And in, of the 10 or so words that he pulls out of the scripture and puts in there is, is a powerful key biblical word is this word koinonia, fellowship. And he says this in there, he says it's a powerfully, a powerful biblical concept that has been grievously cheapened. Because we reduce the idea of fellowship to pretty much anything that two Christians do together. Right? So whether we get together and share a meal or watch a football game or play games or do whatever, we call it fellowship. But Packer says this. The fact that we share social activities with other Christians does not of itself imply that we have fellowship with them. To say this is not, of course, to deny that there may be a place for those activities, but our point is simply that to equate these activities with fellowship and fellowship with them is an abuse of Christian language. And it's a dangerous abuse. Because it fools us into thinking that we're thriving on fellowship when all the time our souls may actually be starving for the lack of it. Fellowship denotes something that is vital to the Christian's spiritual health and central to the life, the true life of the church. And we see the importance that he's talking about in this text because the church is devoted to it. And it's tucked in right here between the Word of God and communion and prayer. And, and that word, that, whatever that powerful biblical concept is, is tucked in right here among the four things that the church is devoted to right up there with the Word of God and prayer. Now all four of the things mentioned in verse 42 are what we call means of grace. The apostles' teaching of the Word of God, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, communion, prayer. These are all what we have traditionally, historically, theologically called the means of grace. That means there are certain things God has given to the church as vehicles through which He communicates His grace to us. That He works in our lives and He transforms us and He accomplishes His good purposes. And He does it through the Word of God, whether it's the preaching of the Word or your reading of it in your personal worship time or you study it together in small groups. But the Word of God is that around which the church gathers is where God works in our midst. He, as we've been praying this morning, reshapes us in its image. But it's also as we respond and live before Him in prayer about the things that are in the Scripture and as we walk with Him and relate to Him, He speaks to us in His Word and we speak back to Him in prayer and we have this fellowship together and He invites us to His table and that we really believe in the communion, that He meets us there. And that there He feeds us spiritually, that He does, in fact... Uh, infuse, in a sense, grace into our lives as we meet with him there and, and, and focus upon his life and his death for us. And that the fellowship is one of these means of grace. The ways in which he brings that grace into our lives. And so koinonia is this deep sharing of life together. We made this point last week that it is, it's a sharing of life. Not just doing activities together, but a spiritual, a relational, spiritual, and even material sharing of life, pursuing of spiritual life together. We quoted 1 John 1.3 that says that you too, as John is writing, you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father and with the Son. Right? That has to denote something spiritual and rich. 
and powerful. And because, and this is the foundation of our koinonia, the foundation of our koinonia together is our, our koinonia with the Father and with the Son. And he says, and that your fellowship is now with us, if your fellowship is also with him. It connects us. Our fellowship with the Father connects us in a common life. You see in 1 John 3.14, it says this. A little further on in the book, he says this. We know that we have passed from death into life. It's a pretty big knowing. right? We, we know that we've passed from death unto life. We are born again. We know this major, foundational, crucial, spiritual thing because... We love the brothers. Now, brothers there should be trained like brothers and sisters. We love the family. We love the people of God, the brethren, some translated, to capture men and women. Right? We know that we're born again. We know that we're, that we're alive in Christ if we love his people. Right? That's what he is saying. Whoever does not love abides in death. It hasn't happened. Right? We know we're born again because we love God's people, God's family. 1 John 4, going further in 1 John, all these out of 1 John, starting in verse 20, he says this, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, and you cannot love then the God whom you have not seen. And this commandment that we have from him, in other words, this is the command of Jesus. This is the law of Christ, the commandment that he gives that we're to follow. He says, we have this commandment from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brothers. In other words, if you love the Father, you must love the children. If you love him, you must love his people. And this is why last week I said, I quoted John Stott saying, the church lies at the very center of God's eternal purpose. The church is God's new community. Becoming a child of God through faith in Christ, connects you to the people of God, to God's new community, to a family, to something bigger than yourself, whether you like it or not. It's not, it's not something you can say, well, I'll take that membership or not take, you know, you can believe in Jesus and be a Christian, but take that membership or not, love the, love the family or not love the family. It's not one of those optional things. He says it's how you know whether you're actually his. So it's not just friendship. It's, it's family. And it means commitment. Family means commitment and involvement in each other's lives. And this is the, the life of koinonia, the life of fellowship. And so in verse 42, all four things that people, that they were devoted to were things that they did together. They gathered to do them. That, that devotion they, to, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship requires it, right? I mean, fellowship literally means being together in each other's lives. So you can't do that alone. But this, this, this devotion to God's word and to prayer, all of this, I'm not saying you can't do some of those by yourself, but according to this text, and I think the context is so very clear, these are the things you're doing together. This is the corporate life of of the church. In verse 44, it says, all who believed were together and had all these things in common. There's this clear sharing of spiritual and material life. And it's both. 
There's this clear sharing of the spiritual and the material. We see the material in verse 45, so very clear. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing it to everybody as they had need. Right? That's what we call a koinea, sharing, a material sharing of life. It's meeting the needs of the people in the life of the church. We see it in verse 46 because it says that day by day they were attending, they were together, they were gathering in the temple together and breaking bread in homes, i.e. together, around the word in prayer and this life together. So koinonia, as it's described here, I believe is very clearly a a pursuing a life in Christ together. And that's not just a spiritual life, but it's a corporate life that includes material. In other words, it's holistic. It's not just this abstract sharing of a spiritual life. No, it's the integration of our lives into a new community of a family, of God's people. And so we see that these four things in the koinonia here is the outworking of what Jesus said when he said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is the outworking of what that looks like. Unless you have a very weak view of what it means to love other people, it means what it means in the life of the church is these things, this inter connectedness. And this is how they know you're my disciples, is this, this life, this shared life in pursuit of Jesus that includes the material well-being of his people. What Jesus is saying is that our love for him is manifest in our love for each other, right? This is how they'll know you're my disciple, because your love for me will be manifest in the way you love each other. If you love one another, they'll know. They'll see it. It'll be manifest. It'll be undeniable. I, I see it here, see it there, see it there, the way these people love each other. So first, let me say that if we manifest it, let's, we're going to look at spiritual fellowship and then material, right? And those are the next two points, and we'll wrap into the portal. We're going to look at it spiritually in this passage, what koinonia is in a spirit, as we share spiritual life, and then we're going to look at what koinonia is as we share material life. All right, and first then we see spiritual koinonia. It's expressed in the shared spiritual life of these people of knowing and loving and pursuing Jesus together. And it involved a physical togetherness because they were together in the temple and then they were gathering from home to home. They were together. In the temple, when it says they're gathering in the temple, that points to corporate worship. Gathering house to house points to smaller groups getting together for spiritual purposes. Right, but you see one is pointing, let's just look at one of those at a time. We'll look at then gathered corporate worship and then and gathering house to house in smaller groups. And so in verse 36, it says they gathered in the temple. What are they doing in the temple? They're doing verse 42. They're devoting to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and communion, to the, to the prayers, but also the fellowship, this pursuing of life together, which means that we're regularly together. I've said many times, and you're tired of hearing me say some of these things, but ecclesia, the word that, we, that the New Testament translates church. So whenever you're reading it and you come across and it says the church, underneath that is the word, the word ecclesia. It's a Greek word, and it literally means the assembly. It is an odd, you know, linguistic journey to get to the word church, which is meaningless in the New for us. I mean, what is 
comes from Kirk, I guess, and going back. But underneath it, the word simply means the assembly. In the Old Testament, it was the assembly of Israel, the assembly of God's people. In the New Testament, the, the, the God's people are still the assembly. It, it literally means the assembly of God, God's people gathered. That's what the word literally means. There, there is a renewed emphasis on the church being scattered. And I think this can be good. Who are we when we're not here? You know, in most of our time, we're not here, right? So who we are when we're scattered is important. And the church's work, who you are as the church out there. I love it when, the, you know, some of the churches over the lintel of the door going out says you are now entering the mission field. Right? That's, that out there is important. But I would also say this, that we err. If we emphasize scattered at the expense of gathered. We, we err biblically from the gathering of Israel in the earliest pages of the New Testament to the gathering of his saints on that day to make a new people. The gathering of God's people is central to God's eternal purposes. And it's impossible to practice the devotion to fellowship that is described in here, the breaking of bread, when we're scattered. I've not met one person returning to corporate worship after years of COVID who have said, it just feels the same watching it at home and being here. I've not met anybody say, it's just, it seems the same. I don't know why we have to get together. It's more like they fall down or like, oh, praise be to God, be in the midst of his people. And has it not been that way this morning? The, the, the songs, the regathering of the choir, the voice of the people singing. Hebrews 10, 24 and 5 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, which is hard to do. I guess you could do it by Zoom. But he says, don't neglect meeting together. As some of you are getting in the habit of doing. But encourage one another together all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, it has always been a temptation to not gather. That's why here in the book of Hebrews, in the first century of the church, he has to remind God's people not to neglect the gathering together. It has always been a temptation. But how much more has it been? Because it's been exacerbated and complicated by COVID. Now, let me just say, it has been legitimate and still is. If, if you are convicted that it's not time to be here yet, and that you have, and for, for those, it has been legitimate to not, in my opinion, as your own personal convictions before the Lord, to not be here during times that you find dangerous, or that you think may be a danger to others. And so I want to speak, in a sense, that legitimacy, but I also want to say, as things are getting better, I will be calling us out, literally, out. As things get better, we, will, we need to renew and to rethink our commitments and break those habits of not gathering. Some people love their couch too much. Right? Isn't it nice to roll out of bed and walk downstairs and watch it? Like, how easy? It's a temptation. Historically, the church thought the gathering was so important that it captured that commitment in our membership vows. We had a, one of our young ladies who came into full communing membership last week. And part of that was her to stand here as part of our worship and take vows. Were you paying attention to those vows? You took them, if you're a member here. 
You should, every time somebody stands up here and takes them, you should be remembering, those are my vows. Like, I, I made this vow. One of the vows that she took, 500 years, those vows that we take are some 500, they're Presbyterian vows going back 500 years. One of them is to support the worship and the work to the, of the church to the best of our ability. I believe that is a vow to practice koinonia. To support the church in its worship, in its work. That is the practical materials side of integrated church life in its, in its teaching and discipleship ministries. We take that vow in the presence of God and the church. We promise to Him and to each other our presence. I believe that is true, and there's been a lot of debate about this over the last two years as we've been scattered and Zooming and etc. I'm passionate about this particular issue. It's something that Packer said, it is something that is vital to the Christian spiritual health and central to the church's true life. So much so that not only is it one of the vows you take, but in our book of church order, we have a whole chapter on discipline. There are things you may or may not know. We have a book of church order. And in it, it has a form of our government and how we organize ourselves. And in it, there's a chapter on discipline and how we deal with problems in the life of the church, as well as a directive for worship. But in that central section on discipline, it has this. One of the reasons that members of a church can be disciplined is their extended long-term absence from worship and from the life of the church. And we're not talking three weeks And we're not talking if you have, if you're homebound and you can't be out. We're talking about those who can be here and who should be here, but who over an extended period of time, three months, six months, you'll you'll probably come and ask you about it. And after a year, the BCO actually says that after a year of having tried to pursue them back into life in the church, is discipline up to excommunication, removing and purging from the roles of the church. That's how serious the BCO, and and that's the the historical mindset of the gathering of church. In other words, being a part of the church is this. I've come across people that seem to want to be on the rolls. They want to be on your list, I think because they want somebody who who will bury them. (laughs) You know, they have no interest in coming to church. They're really not interested in being part of the fellowship. They're whatever, but I'll send a check once a month, and you're going to bury me. But that is not, we, we don't think that's church. And we'll say, if, you're, if you have no interest in being a part of the life of the church, you know, you took these vows, and we, we have taken them seriously through the years. But I think for those who are healthy, it's not an issue. If you love the Lord, he says, you will love the brothers. And you will, you will desire to be. Now, COVID, again, has complicated this, and I understand that. But what I am saying is the time is coming when we will need to renew our vows and our commitments to these things. Because in verse 46, and we go on, not just in the corporate setting, but in addition to corporate connectedness, they also met house to house in small groups. Why? I believe the why to that is because you can only obey the koinonia commands in the New Testament in smaller groups. Right? Let me say that. You can only obey the koinonia commands of the New Testament as you break down what happens here into smaller connectedness. And what do I mean? I'll say, what, what are the koinonia commands of the New Testament? Well, I'll say, 
I think the entire New Testament unpacks what the life of koinonia is. Every book of the New Testament, on almost every page, one way to summarize it is to collect together what we call the one another commands. And I got an abbreviated list of those commands. There are, there are more. I, you, know, you can Google it and you'll find a longer list than this. But these are the commands that run through the New Testament about koinonia. And the first one is to love one another. Over and over again. And then we have a real truncated view of what that means. But also, it's, in fact, it says it 16 times, which is why it is the law of Christ. But also to be devoted to one another, to build one another up, right? To welcome and accept one another. I guess you can welcome people into a Zoom call, but it just doesn't feel the same. So welcome them into your home or into your church or into your fellowship or into your small group. To submit to each other, to admonish and exhort each other, to forgive each other, to teach one another, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to confess your sins one to another. These are the koinonia commands of the New Testament that it says to be involved in each other's life. To exhort you, I need to know you and to know where you need to be exhorted. Right? To forgive you, i got to be close enough to you so that you can offend me. Right? <laughs> To pray for you, I need to know what's going on in your life, right? All of these are connectedness. They are a life. They, 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 They manifest a life, shared life together. Now, can Zoom and virtual platforms be a substitute for these things? I would say in extenuating circumstances, praise God for Zoom and streaming worship. But I would also say that they are not a substitute. And I would say it's a little bit like a husband who, or a wife who's been deployed overseas. Thank God for Zoom, right? To stay connected to the family, to the children, to his wife. Praise God for Zoom. But to argue that because Zoom is available, the husband doesn't need to go home is absurd. It, it fills a gap and it's helpful. But it is not a substitute. Presence, human presence, there is no substitute. Only in small personal gatherings in homes and in the church can you press into the kind of spiritual fellowship that is described. And the last one another that I wanted to hit this morning was to bear one another's burdens and so, Galatians 6.2, so fulfill the law of Christ. To bear one another's burdens. And the law of Christ that we're fulfilling there is the law of love. What is his command? But to love one another. Right? Again, in John 15, one of the 16 places, this is my command, my law. The law of Christ is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. And we love one another and we fulfill the law of Christ when we live out the one another commands in the New Testament. Almost every page of the New Testament expounds and applies it. How we treat each other. How we care for each other is on every page. The context of Galatians 6, to bear each other's burdens, it's clear the context there is bearing each other's burdens is spiritual. It's it's basically being involved in each other's lives. When you're struggling spiritual, when you're stumbling, that there's somebody there to pick you up, to help you, to restore you. And, And the context is spiritual, but in Galatians 6, but the application of it in the broader New Testament is clear that it is that koinonia and this bearing of each other's burdens is also material. We see it patently here in this text. So we go to finally material koinonia. 44 and 45 shows the kind of involvement in each other's lives. It's not just spiritual. It cares 
very radically and practically. How can you love one another, and we're going to see these verses in a minute, and not meet those kind of needs? But we see a church here in 44 and 5 that is devoted to the sacrificial meeting of the needs of the community. They were together. They had all things in common. They're selling their possessions and their belongings. They're distributing things to people as they had need. Again, I said last week, this is not communism. This is personal generosity flowing from private ownership. Right? It's an abundant private ownership where they had enough to liquidate and share. Nobody confiscated it and redistributed it. What we have is biblical generosity. God opening the hearts of His people to generously care for one another. But this practical part of care is part of the very nature of the church. Right? This piece of it is part of the very nature of the church as well. It is not, again, something we tack on. It's part of what it means to be the household of God. How do I know this? Well, 1 John 3, 16 and 18 to 18, it says this, By this we know love. Right? Again, the law of Christ and the law of love and the, to love one another is the basis, and he just keeps pushing it. And our fellowship with him, that he first loved us, and so we love him, and we manifest our love for him by loving one another. By this, he says, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that he... Gave himself for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. How wonderfully abstract. Right? Well, what does that mean? Well, he died on the cross for us, and we're to lay down our lives for each other. Ah, I love you guys. I lay down. What does that mean? He doesn't leave it there. He calls us out. He says, if anyone has the world's goods, now we're back in Acts chapter 2. Anybody has the world's good and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word and in talk, but not in deed and in truth. The koinonia is, is manifestly, radically practical. James 2, he says the same thing. A brother or sister and poorly clothed, he's lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled but you don't give them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, that if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, living faith is sacrificially loving, and practically loving. We should not talk about koinonia. We need to practice it. We need to bear one another's burdens in practical, sacrificial ways that are both revolve around spirituality and spiritual struggles as well as material, the kind of integrating of life. Now, let me just stand back and just say, you guys do this pretty well. So I, I will give you the kudos there. I do, our church, I believe, does this pretty well. We, we are, I, I see the integration of life and the, care, the spontaneous and the organic care for one another that goes on is tremendous. I can't say how often I, people say this happened or that happened. I say, I just love seeing the church be the church, right? It is, I didn't have to tell them to do it. Nobody had to tell them to do it. So much does happen here. You guys are, are pretty good at this already. On Communion Sundays, one way we do this is through our Good Samaritan Fund. On Communion Sundays, we encourage people to give a little bit extra and designate it to the Good Samaritan Fund. The Good Samaritan Fund sits there as a pot of money to help anybody in the life of the church and sometimes in the community around us who are in crisis. You know, you lost a job. You know, we try not to that become part of somebody's budget, but if you lose your job and you go, you know, you're, you're out of work for an extended period of time, you got extraordinary expenses, you have... 
you're just struggling, you know, you're living in that struggle and you have occasional needs, that, that money is there to, to do just that. As any had need, there's a liquid fund that people have given out of their abundance to meet those needs, which is to say, if you have those needs, we encourage you to tell us. The, the, the church has that there to help us through those times. But I'm coming to the reason I'm preaching this particular sermon at this particular moment. Well, all of those applications, I pray that you do not forget them because they are important. What we've been saying is this, though, is to come down to, I wanted to give us a biblical vision of koinonia as a practical care and service as we roll out a renewed emphasis on our meals ministry. Because I want to encourage the wholehearted, whole congregation participation in that ministry. And what I mean by that is that I, I would like for us to commit to provide one, for each one of you, family units. If every family unit in here committed to provide one meal a year, we would probably fill up every, you know, we send out the meal train, we'd probably fill up every one for a year. If everybody does it once, you probably only have to do it. We know this because we do the same thing. Basically, we already have an all-membership ro- nursery rotation that's very successful. You may or may not know that, particularly if you came during COVID because we're not doing it. But we have an all-nursery rotation that when you join the church, if you're on the membership rolls once a year, you're going to get an email and say it's your week to serve. But if everybody serves one week a year, that's all you have to serve. And what we found that it was just crushing on certain families and parents to... You know, they're only on volunteers, to be honest, only certain people volunteer, and then it tends to crush the people who try to do the ministry. Just like it's what happens in the meals ministry, that there are certain people who prop it up and make it happen, and it it tends to be. But if everybody does it once a year, and that's the commitment I'm looking for this morning, is for you to say, when that meal train comes out, it filled up this time. Next time I'll get on there. And then almost a competition, when I can get my name on the list. And everybody, once it's on there, then you're good. Once a year. Always full, never burned out. It's one of the ways we fulfill the law of Christ. Are willing to sign up and provide for a struggling family. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to our God. And Packer sums up his idea. He says, A church gains strength through fellowship, and we lose strength without it. So I call us to a deeper sense of koinonia. My friends, let us not love in talk and in word, but in deed and in truth, and so fulfill the law of Christ.